I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, he's, he's made a career as like a provocative comedian. So as those, the guy who made Trollhunter, he made any other movies? I think so. Let me just double check. Because I get my Norwegian directors mixed up. What coaster do you want? André Everdal, yeah, of course. What coaster do you want, Andy? Um, could I have a look? Yeah, they're right in front of you. Oh, uh, Diego. Diego. There you go, sticking the nut on there. Thanks very much. Last you, you, you can put a fillet, oh. you put in the elbow on Zabaleta. Yeah. Joe Barton sticking one on Sergio Aguero or Sergio Ramos. I'd like some Fellaini. I'd like some hot, steamy Fellaini action. I'll take, uh, I'll take Sergio Ramos. Kike Setien is the new manager of Barcelona, replacing Ernesto Valverde. There's been plenty of chat of Setien being fourth choice. The recruitment process has received a huge amount of criticism, with one Spanish football journalist calling it a keystone cops affair from start to finish. And already the talk is that he will only be a placeholder ahead of Xavi taking the job next year. Chaps, what do you make of the appointment and would you endorse the criticism that this appointment uh, appointment has attracted? Well, I think in some ways it makes a kind of perfect sense, even though they've not arrived at the decision in necessarily the most linear way. But this is a guy who adores Cruyff and Cruyff's legacy more than any of the other candidates in the frame. You and can, and you that's all you need of. for the job. Well, it's a start, isn't it? Can I see your bedroom wall? Yes, there are enough Johan Cruyff posters on there. Please start on Monday. If you're a middle-aged man with posters on your wall, you've got questions to ask yourself. I bet Bielsa has. <laughs> yeah, I bet yes. <laughs> but I think you've got to bear in mind, the only La Liga game that Ernesto Valverde lost at home was to uh, Kike Setien's Betis as well, mm. which I, I think I think is quite interesting. I think what happens at the Camp Nou is very important for the Valverde legacy and it's right. very important for the way that Valverde was perceived and the way that things have turned, certainly um, to the discomfort of the club only relatively recently. I think what you've got to bear in mind when you look at how um, things are at Barcelona and how the mood is at, at, at Barcelona. Um, we always look at it because they're a global mega club now, a lot through the prism of angry fans on Twitter mm. and the, this can't go on after they lost at Roma mm. in the Romantara and after they lost at, at Liverpool, this <clears> absolutely <throat> has to be the end. Mm. But things are perceived slightly differently back home and I think if you look at the pressure in the stadium, this is not uh, a stadium in Camp Nou in which the players get whistled like they are at the Bernabeu. You rarely have a situation with 
uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or Gareth Bale or well, anyone who's anyone has been whistled at Real Madrid, haven't they? Yeah. And that doesn't really happen at, at Camp Nou. If a player is getting whistled, it's serious because it's it's not something that happens to, to all players. And it certainly doesn't happen to folks who score more than the goal a game for uh, nine years, although he's over it now, you understand. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that things had started to turn... Um, I think you have to look at El Clasico as a turning point. And El Clasico is almost always a, a, a turning point for either club. Um, you know, you think of that long, unbeaten uh, run that uh, Manuel Pellegrini went on and he lost the Clasico and all of a sudden it was, it was, it was worth nothing at Real Madrid. And the, the way they played in El Clasico and what's kept trouble at arm's length for Valverde for a lot of the time is that a lot of fans don't go away. And a lot of the fans in the stadium really enjoyed the performances. You know, they've, they've been pretty, they're, they've had their challenges on the road. There's no doubt about that, especially this season. And that sort of follows on from what happened in, in, in Rome and what happened in Liverpool. But um, at home, they have looked like old Barcelona for, for a lot of the time. But El Clasico was different because you had a Real Madrid side who was supposedly there for the taking come along, not only escape with a nil-nil draw, but are the better team. And as Real Madrid would argue, with a better application of VAR, might have actually won the game as well. And that is a point at which people who start to come every week start putting the pressure on and start thinking, this isn't good enough. So that is where you go from people not being over the moon with Valverde and him not having a 100% approval rating to people thinking okay, maybe it's, it's, it's time for a change. I think you have to look overall and with time, people will look at Valverde's uh, spell in charge and say, okay, he wasn't the greatest Barcelona coach either, but neither was he Tata Martino or you know, second coming of Louis van Gaal. Because as the, we've made this point several times on this show, but I'm going to have to make it again because as he's gone, we're never going to make it again. <laughs> uh, if you go back to the beginning, when he took over, um, Barcelona were not only not favourites for La Liga, they were not second favourites for La Liga. Um, Neymar had left. They had all this stuff going on in the city with um, the call for the Catalan independence referendum. Remember, they played that game behind um, closed doors against, um, was, it, was it Las Palmas? Mm. Anyway, the fact is that Valverde got on with them and made them efficient and in terms of up until this season, season one and season two in La Liga were absolutely peerless. And this is something that is still worth winning. People think of everything in Champions League terms. But to win La Liga is not easy. It's not a given in, in this day and age. You know, in, in an age when Paris Saint-Germain win it every season, Juventus win it every season, Barcelona have won it almost every season. And they've, they've come back to that point under Valverde. But it's not been easy because they've had to cope with Real Madrid. It's, it's, not, it's not even a two-team league. You've got Atletico who have been serious for the last five, six, seven years. So what he's been able to do domestically with them is very impressive. Was he quite brave enough to get it done in the Champions League? I suppose is the biggest question. Mm. Yes, it's useful to go back to the summer of uh, 2017 when he took over, when the club had been completely wrong-footed by Neymar leaving. That's not something they saw in the pipeline at all. He was sort of set up to be Messi's long-term heir and all of this. And suddenly Neymar leaves. The board kind of freaks out and panics and pays way too much money for, for Ousmane Dembele. Uh, later on in January, they proceed to pay probably way too much money for Coutinho as well without a clear plan of how to use him and Valverde is kind of left having to manage this situation and he mm. does these things like bring in Paulinho or whether that was him or not and, and, and I don't know but Paulinho was brought in and he he, he, well, play, he played him he play, he? and he yeah. plays him and he plays 4-4-2 a lot like he completely goes against the traditions of Barcelona but the end result is that they win the league by 14 points so he deserves credit for that and I think going forward I think he will be remembered as someone who managed a difficult situation really quite well even if the the social media fans and the international fans, as we've called them, are quite yeah. furious about the, the 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 way things unraveled. But I think maybe the most sort of instructive 
thing you can look at in terms of what it, what went wrong for Valverde, why he's being replaced, why they've sacked a guy who's top of the league, is by looking at the people they've spoken to to be his replacements. They've, they've, there was an interest in Ronald Koeman. Um, yeah. There was a, a very well-publicized interest in Xavi. And there was even there's even been suggested they spoke to Thierry Henry a while back uh, as well. And and you've ended up with Kike Setien. <laughs> and you've ended up with Kike Setien. And what, what that tells you, what that screams at you, is that they really are freaking out about about losing their identity, right? Mm. And that they want to go back to someone who's perceived as having the Barcelona DNA in them and, and knowing the club. That's that lovely phrase, <laughs> knowing the club. And ironically, I think you get that much more with Setien than you would have with Coman, for instance, than you would have certainly sure. the one you would have from Thierry Ari and possibly with Xavi, we don't know. But it, it, you can ask Everton fans, you know, what, what how much uh, Barcelona DNA was he managed to, did he manage to spray onto the club? Not that much. So I, I, with Setien, you get someone who, who really just um, uh, not just idolizes that way of doing it, but has actually tried to implement that sort of uh, passing possession game, playing out from the back, creating passing triangles, creating numerical overloads in certain areas of the pitch, all this sort of Barcelona stuff. He's implemented at other much smaller clubs with much fewer resources. Can yeah, you, and that's, you... the, that's the thing. Uh, sorry, Luke. That's I was, okay. was, was going to say... Um, is a point I was I was at a, a La Liga TV launch yesterday, and the point that uh, Gustavo Poyet made is before what Setien's done, he's never had players like this. Mm. So you know he's going to get the chance to put his and the best of Setien. The football is beautiful, and it really was with Las Palmas. Um, Betis were a team to we, watch. We, we, we talked we, about them Betis. a lot. Yeah. yeah, when when it fell apart at, at both clubs, it really fell apart. So there's questions over the interpersonal dynamic of of him and players and I think especially big players that's something we, we, we have to look out for um, but yeah Poyet did make this point he's, he's not had this chance with players of anywhere near this standard before so I, I, I enjoyed, could, be, could be something for him. And Andy mentioned the game where he took Betis to the Camp Nou and, and they won and I think it was obviously it was that they won of course and 4-3 wasn't it and it, it wasn't that they won they won playing the kind of football the, the Barcelona crowd kind of wants their own team to play and haven't yeah. really seen in the last couple of years I think that's what made such a big impression and I mean I don't think he gets that job now if that game doesn't happen and doesn't play out the way it did, honestly, because I think that's kind of the way football can be sometimes. Um, you mentioned the <clears throat> La Liga uh, launch. that I noticed that um, Mauricio Pochettino was there as well. And, and as we referenced the uh, the appointment of, of Setien at Barcelona, um, I don't know if it's to be believed, but it was reported that um, Pochettino himself was actually approached. And he responded by saying that he'd rather go back to manage a farm in Argentina than manage Barcelona. He didn't say that last night. Did he not? What did he say? Well, tell us what he said last night. Well, he he ducked it in right. about as with about as much elegance as uh, old Ian Ormondroyd used to uh, hit God, the ball at the back a, post a for uh, Aston Villa. <laughs> That's Unex- a Sam Matterface tortured <laughs> metaphor. Ever <laughs> unexpected, <laughs> unexpected. Uh, so, do you think? Do you think it's right that? Um, the, the, do you think the criticism of the process to appoint him uh, is is fair, or do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a mess. Okay, it's, it's a mess. And I, I think that's okay, that's the interesting thing that it's easy to overlook about Valverde. The fact that there was there was no plan at all when when they got rid of him. But if you go back to the beginning when he took over. And in La Liga terms, he's very reliable, very solid, not just with the body of work that he's shown at Barcelona, but you, you, you know, you look at the you know, lighthouse that he was at Athletic before that. Also, he, he managed to like sort of provide Batfink style wings of steel. Batfink? Against, I mean, what are these what references? happening today? I'm, I'm having an 80s morning. I'm going to have to Good do so Lord. much explanation in this synopsis <laughs> if you carry on like this. <laughs> Ian Norman Jordan, Batfink. I know, in the space of two minutes, it's this, yeah. isn't it? My wings are like a shield of steel, it's right? Exactly. Weird. But he kind of shielded the board from people saying, you let Neymar go. You're incompetent. You can't run everything. <laughs> people people stopped talking about that because he got the team, eventually, because he got the oh, team winning. Because of the Ramontada. After, <laughs> week, week, <laughs> because he got the team winning week after week. Never mind off the pitch. Look at what happens on the pitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but domestically, you're but, right. He did a very strong job. Yeah, he, he did. And what he got out of Messi... I mean, it's always about getting a tune out of your star players. How good has Messi been under Valverde? I'm not saying that's all down to Valverde, but with the 4-4-2, 
gave him the conditions to succeed. And giving him the conditions to succeed post Neymar is no small thing. Was er han konsekvent i sin indgriben? Han har stået en stor kamp, synes jeg, Måns Krogh. Ole Bjørn, selvfølgelig. Og igen usikkerhed viser David James. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's turn our attention to France then, because um, we. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> it's a very basic we. Do you want to give it again? Yeah, we go. Because uh, Robert Moreno took charge. <laughs> Careful. Um, we know, we've told you before, your, your swearing is acceptable as long as it's in Norwegian. No one, no one can understand you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Moreno took charge of Monaco for the first time. He took his side to Paris for the first of two games in Ligue 1 against PSG. And to be fair, I'd say they passed that first examination, didn't they? The, the game finished 3-3 and they were able to drag themselves back into it after being 3-2 down. But they also played again last night, this time um, in Paris. Or in Monaco. In Monaco. No, in Monaco. Monaco. Because they were the they were the two league games. That's right. Because of rearrangement, played twice in four days. I mean, and the game finished, I just finished by saying the game finished 4 1 to, P, to, to PSG. Yeah. You know, baptism of fire, to say the least. A lot's been made of this PSG. Um, what, what are they being called? The Fantastic, the Fantastic Four. four. Um, what do you make of that? And what do you also make of Moreno's start at the, at the Red and Whites? Uh, well, Moreno's start, his first league game in, um, in Paris, as you say, the 3 3 draw. Was I watched it with Lars, and it was is such a brave performance, and it worked. No invite it for me, guys. Worked. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was a Sunday night. Were you doing it before Trans Europe? Yeah, that's yeah. before that, and that's during. Nice. Right. No. Oh, were you? Okay. And we multitask. We're yeah. very good at these things. Yeah, well, we, we are. Well, we are. Good on I, us. I saw extended highlights this game, and I was impressed by Monaco's kind of the way they stuck at the task. It, it really smacks to me of a team with a new manager. Well, that, that, they went a goal down after three minutes. Yeah, you can overlook that to Neymar, mm. and, and then you, you think, think, Oh God, it's going to be seven. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Exactly. It's Seven. Flashback exactly. to Thierry Henry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the, the bravery with which they played was was fantastic. Uh, Vissam Benyeda, uh, I think, underlined again what an incredible player he is. But also, you look at other players in the team, like Golovin was fantastic. And mm. he is a player who came in for Monaco a very, very difficult time. And um, again, if he can be given the platform to flourish by Moreno, who's... Like left his print on the team already, I think, which is quite notable. In what way? Then that would be well because they've they've been braver, they've been more expressive, and um, you go back to the first game they played in the Coupe de France against against Reims. Not an easy game to win by any stretch of the imagination. Reims are pretty tough to break down. They stuck at it and they won the game right at the end. Um, and I think in a way, it kind of goes back to the early days of. Leonardo Jardim, his first spell, because the players enjoyed Jardim so much because they did so much with the ball. Mm. And, you know, players don't always get the opportunity to to do that, do they? Especially under a new coach who's trying to instill discipline and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, he's brought some freshness to the place. He's stimulated minds. Um, and they've played in a more loose sort of 4-4-2 that's given those players the ability to express themselves a, a little bit, which I, I think has, has, has been helpful as well. But as anyone who's uh, 
taking a partner away to Paris for the weekend knows coming back home afterwards and retaining the magic is very, very difficult indeed. <laughs> and it certainly was because I think there are two reasons for this. Firstly, Paris clearly got a large bollocking for the openness with which they played in that game against Monaco at the Parc des Princes. Hmm. Secondly, who'd want to play PSG twice in four days in the league? I mean, that's yeah. just inhuman. <clears throat> and I think the players were a little bit tired from that, Monaco's players as well. And this time, it was more Paris pressed better. And so Monaco's openness played against them. A lot of the time, Timuri Bakayoko looked a bit on his own in the middle with Golovin not willing to protect him and Fabregas not really able to. Mm. Um, so that left them a little bit outnumbered. And a lot of attention has been drawn among the Fantastic Four to not just Kylian Mbappe scoring those two goals in the second game, but also um, Angel Di Maria. Because, uh, I mean, there was an article in The Keep this morning saying he can either make or break the Fantastic Four because, of course, there's a huge question. Can they use these four in a big Champions League game? Mm. I, I, you know, that, that has got to be a question because it does leave them a little bit open. But Di Maria worked himself so hard. Um, he made a lot of challenges. He won the ball a lot. He also gave the ball away a lot, which I think has implications in transition, especially when you look at them yeah, playing uh, Dortmund in the Champions and League. And Andy, one, one thing I find really interesting about that is uh, my first instinct when you look at this Fantastic Four, particularly in this game where they won 4-1 the game last night, and you mentioned there, and I completely agree, it puts a lot of pressure on, on, on the team because it leaves them open. I was surprised to see... I didn't actually see this game, so you can you can fill in the blanks for me. Yes. I was surprised to see... They played Adrissa Gay in holding midfield, but they played him alongside a 17-year-old holding midfield player. Yeah, Tongi Kouassi, who and, and, found it hard. Right, but it, they still won the game fairly easily. Presumably they just outgunned Monaco then. Yeah, they, they, they did. And like I said, Di Maria put in such a shift as well. And But it puts a lot of pressure on Verratti and, and Gay, right? Oh yeah, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. It's, it's tough. And, um, you know, Verratti... He does save some of his best games for the Champions League, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. No, but I was just saying what, what happened in the first game uh, on Sunday was I thought Monaco were very, very good at exploiting the flanks. And I think this is going to be a big problem for PSG if they are going to try to use the, the, the Fantastic Four. It makes it narrow, do yeah. you? Well, yeah, it, it does inevitably because they, they line up in something very similar to the sort of Manuel Pellegrini uh, magic box or magic rectangle thing yeah. that he deployed both at Real Madrid and at Man City uh, with sort of Mbappe and Icardi up front and, and Neymar and Di Maria sort of in kind of drifty wide roles coming inside a lot. That leaves an awful lot for your fullbacks to do if the opponents overload the flanks, which Monaco did a lot in Paris. They did that very successfully. It's kind of funny, actually. You can you can check this out yourself if you look at the heat map. I'm the only person in the world who starts a sentence with this kind of funny and goes straight to heat maps. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the Monaco heat map from the game in Paris, there's like nothing in the middle. Like They, did, they, they just gave up. We're not going to attack through the middle. We're going to overload the flanks constantly. Yeah. And that's what caused a lot of problem for, for Paris. I, too, missed the game last night, and it doesn't look like they did the same, Andy? Um, no, and, and they, they, they simply weren't able to, mm. uh, I think, because uh, PSG hemmed them in. You know, there was a lot more work on, on, on Monaco. And I, I think a part of that is them feeling like we should have done better in the first game and Tuchel telling them they should have done better in the first game. Mm. But also, Monaco tends to be a little bit more timid at home. Mm. And that's going to be a big challenge for Moreno going forward. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Another interesting thing I thought, apart from, because of course with Paris, we expect them to, to, to win Ligue 1 at Cantor. So we are looking forward to the, the, the Dortmund tie in the Champions League. Mm, that'll be a now, fascinating counter. It, it, it will. Now, the thing that, again, people have drawn attention to is not just can they play this way in the Champions League. And bear in mind that Di Maria played this kind of shuttler role, almost making a third person in midfield when... Um, they won the Champions League final in in, in 2014. Mm. Um, I mean, he was he was the man of the match in that. He was outstanding. Mm. He was the one who saw them past Atletico when Atletico were really flagging in the final stages of it and and in extra time. A lot of people have drawn attention to Kalo Navas. I think Lekeep said this morning that um, he's one of the best. Uh, Kalo Navas is one of the best five goalkeepers in the world on his line, but on his line. You look at the goal that Bakayoko ends up scoring, which is just a consolation. Yeah. It comes out not really anywhere near a free kick. 
and uh, Bakayoko just bundles it in at the back post. And he made a couple of great saves in that early on, actually. And we do have to say, Monaco had a few good chances early on. Uh, Gelson Martins, who was fantastic in that first game, mm, wasn't he? he was. Was. And, he scored, and, he and scored in, the, in the first one, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the, the question of that is an issue with Dortmund because, of course, straight away you think Dortmund, you know, Hummels, Akanji, Holland now as as well. <laughs> there, there, there were lots of there were lots of targets to get in Navas's His face. <clears throat> and, you know, it's funny when you project forward to that game, you wouldn't immediately think, "All oh, right, Dortmund are going to undo them from set pieces," but maybe they could. Well, what I think, looking at that game at potential matchups, if Tuchel is going to play all four of them, which he'll he'll probably be under some pressure to do. Actually, are like, Dortmund the worst team to do that against? Because well, they go out the stage but, 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 every year anyway. But I look just, at the, just, but I look, might as well have fun doing it. But I look at the <laughs> I look at the left side of the pitch in particular for PSG. It is notionally Neymar who plays wide left in midfield there. But of course, he's going to a not defend much and b sort of drift in a lot. And then it's Juan Bernat on the left back who's not an amazing defensive left back they're coming up against uh, I mean they'll be coming up against that fearsome right side with with like uh, Jadon Sancho and Hakimi and this sort of thing I mean, who's that, not that an amazing could... defensive left back it's like having a more polite version of Uli Hernes here I, I, a lot of people <laughs> call me that Andrew <laughs> uh, but, but no just uh, imagine like you've got Hakimi and, and, and Sancho overloading against Juan Bernard all night I mean that, that's the, a really the, bad t- day at the office there, yeah. w- there will be plenty of time for us to, to, to preview the, the, the Champions League games but uh, so we'll do that in due course but just very quickly before we move on because um, there's a fantastic story with Christoph Galtier that I want to get to in a minute I'd like to know if you guys can give me any or give us any um, insight into the type of coach you think Robert Moreno is going to be because he's been very itinerant he's worked a lot as an assistant under Luis Enrique he's managed at a lower level he had what nine games in charge of Spain yeah uh, and that's pretty much it so he's in this position where he's at a big club in a big league going up against you know one of the world's best teams. What have we learned from these two games that can tell us the type of coach he's going to be? Well, I think we've found out with Arsenal and Mikel Arteta that so much of being a head coach is about projection and about the way you present yourself, certainly in the early stages. And that's where he's made a, a, a really strong impression. Um, people know he's, he's a guy who likes to likes to quote philosophers and stuff in his, his, his press conferences. And he's got a really strong idea of how the game should be played. I think that's very, very important for, for Monaco early on. I think this is very different to... like People have compared it to, say, uh, Thierry Henry taking charge um, at Monaco. I, I think it couldn't be more different. Right. That's not to say that Moreno is a guaranteed success. Of course, no coach is a guaranteed success. Um, but... This is someone with a very strong courage of his convictions who is experienced. As you say, he was involved um, at Roma, Delta, Barcelona, Spain. He was a big part of Luis Enrique's successes. And I think that's an interesting thing to watch going on. How will Luis Enrique go on with a, with a new team without someone who was his most trusted lieutenant next to him I, I think that that could potentially make a difference but for Moreno it's a chance that he's been preparing himself for for a very long time you know he's been singing into a microphone in his bedroom for a very long time and now he's actually out there on stage what's he been singing oh that's a good question but Pro- probably probably some sort of like Serge Gansburg or something like yeah. that because he is quite a philosophical guy yeah so that's probably why he'll fit in league I think he's yeah. doing the Macarena over and over <laughs> <laughs> well listen like um Luis Enrique uh we wish him all the best <laughs> um little coach Christophe Galtier has given probably one of the more embarrassing post-match team talks of his career. Uh, Lille lost 1-0 to Dijon on Sunday afternoon, leaving them in fifth, uh, fifth position. Of course, they finished second last year, didn't they? Yes. Uh, and the Galtier admonished his side for losing to a team, and this is a quote, of painters and maintenance men, depending on which translation you read. Um, the kicker being that it was overheard by a whole lot of journalists. Um, well, the thing we have to say is about the Stade Gaston Girard, basically the press room is... Right, right, next to right next to the away dressing room and Galtier was really shouting okay. at him. And they, they heard all of it and he could just tell from the looks on their faces when he came into the press conference. Yeah. And, and, uh, the he did an amazing thing when he came out. He said, um, I know you heard me. It was just anger. 
<laughs> and then apologise for calling Dijon the team that he called them. Um, when you, I, I didn't get this through the news. I saw this on our WhatsApp group first. Yeah. And you said that Galtier had given his team talk to the journalist. I thought he'd just gone to the wrong room <laughs> and just sort of <laughs> read, the, read the riot yeah, act. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, Jur- journalists famously can get a bit sort of defensive and aggressive. So I think Galtier would maybe get what he wants from players from, from them. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's, it's something interesting because uh, Galtier is someone who, his, his manner in the press conference was, was really fun because he's not normally that sort of circumspect that that is his personality he's a real front foot sort of sort of guy I think he's been holding a lot of pent up anger since Jose Mourinho pinched his two assistants to be honest I bet because uh, he's he's pretty furious about that and he couldn't hide that in front of the, the media so I think this could be the sort of bloodletting that he needed after that but is it too early to, is it too early to to say or suggest that perhaps the wheels are starting to come off for him because I mean the last Game, but they obviously lost lost to Dijon away. Yeah. We were an average team. The, the last, I know there was a couple of cup games in between that, which they did okay against teams you'd perhaps expect them to beat. Before that, they were beaten quite heavily by Monaco and a ten man Monaco as well. Monaco played the last twenty twenty five minutes with ten men, and they still lost five one. Lille. So is it too early for us to be saying what what's going on here? Um, th- th- there have to be some questions, definitely. But I think globally, you take the season as a whole. They lost a lot of players. They lost some mm. some big players, and they're always in this vulnerable but a team financial of that position. Profile will always have that situation if they do well. Uh, well, I think of their financial position. That, that that's what they're sort of coming back against. And you know, the, I think if you look at them medium term, the fact that they've been able to get that entirely unexpected Champions League money, that they've been able to get that amount of money for Nicola Pepe, and I'm sure Arsenal fans are still <laughs> raising their eyebrows. Bear in mind, the year before, Lille wanted to sell him to Lyon for €30 million. Euros. He refused to go, stayed, had the season of his life, got them in the Champions League, and they sold him for nearly treble the price the next summer. I mean, that, they owe a lot to Nicola Pepe. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But... Yeah, there, there has been a bit of disquiet As opposed recently. to Arsenal, who owe a lot for Nicola Pepe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think when you look back at that, the Monaco defeat is quite an interesting one because they've, um, uh, earlier in that week, they beat Monaco in the Coupe de la Ligue, That's right, uh, yeah. which was like, four days before. And they beat them 3-0. Mm. It could have been 10, like, like with no exaggeration. Monaco were awful. And it was it was too easy for Lille, really. I don't know if that got them... Like believing their own publicity a, a little bit, there's maybe that sense um, with with the way they they went about it and lost the the, the game at the weekend afterwards. Um, and there there have been there has been the sense that Galtier has held this frustration with his team as as well as with the with the situation. Now um, he, he's dropped Jose Font as well, which is a, a big deal. The, the last couple of games. So he's clearly trying to send a message to his team. And now that message really is out there, albeit a little inadvertently. <laughs> his, his message is out there because he gave it direct to the journalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, 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 the other thing, when we're, when we're talking about coaches getting their message out there, of course, he didn't do it in quite the same aggressive way, is uh, Andre Villas-Boas this week because mm. uh, Marseille in a great position in the league. They won your game of the week last week. At, Narrowly, 1-0. At, at, at Rennes. Yeah. Mm. Kevin Strokeman goal. Is that why you picked it as game of the week? Um, you could yes. see a Kevin Stroop. Was, was the to be honest, from what I saw, it was a poor game. And Stroopman scored late on where he followed up a free kick. It was a nice free kick hit the post, came out and he put it into the top corner. Yeah. I mean, as far as I can, um, well, people four hundred grand a month of anyone. Yeah, no, but as far as I can tell, that was really the only thing that happened oh in the game. Was there a goal that was disallowed? I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, it, wasn't it, was, an exciting game. it wasn't a great game. No, 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 it, it wasn't. But you know, they they won it against their. It's a big uh, win their, for them. Their closest rivals, absolutely. Yeah, um, for, for for second place. So that was that was big. But it was it was interesting because uh, this week it came out that. Um, Marseille have employed uh, a guy called Paul Aldridge, who's worked for a number of clubs in um, England, including uh, West Ham. Sounds uh, made up. Bolton. West Ham? <laughs> sounds like, no, sounds like, sounds sounds like I'm making it up. Yeah. It's like a West random name generator. He played random for, transfer advisor name generator. He played for Tranmere and Macclesfield Town, apparently. Also made up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean the clubs, I meant the man's name. But yeah, so he's there to try and help sell French players to Premier League, basically. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Village Boas came out and, uh, and said, well, look, if, if you want to sell players to the Premier League, the best way to do it is to carry on playing well. But it's interesting because um, 
Village Boas has been there before. And with, with coaches, like with Raf Benitez, with anyone else, we do look Sorry, for... Sorry, that's my chair, by the way. Pull <laughs> we do look for recurrent patterns of behaviour, don't mm. we? And with Village Boas... Leaving well, is one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he, he said before, you know, I, I'm, it, for me, it's not about... He said in this press conference, it's not about money. He said, I, worked out, I, I walked out on 12 million net in China to go and do the Paris-Dakar rally. And of course he... Because he, he got paid off about 50 million from Chelsea as well. Yeah, and of course <laughs> he, he walked out of Zenit as well because um, he was frustrated by the, the, the foreign player rules that existed there at the, at the time in the, in the, in the Russian so Premier League. Russians in general. So uh, it's, it's, I, I think everyone's on their guard already a little bit because um, what Villas-Boas doesn't want to do is go into a squad with this, go into the Champions League next season if they should make it, and they do look in a good position to make it with either a squad as strong as it is at the moment or less strong than it is at the moment. He wants strengthening. Now, he knew what he was getting when he got into this job at Marseille. He knew that, you know, they, they didn't have money. They were trying to sell the big earners, Strootman, Dimitri Payet. But the reality of that, I, th- I think it must have been a part of him that thought, well, if I do manage to get us in the Champions League, and especially because the season's gone far better than expected, mm. I expect a little bit more going into next season. But, because they're in a certain financial position, like Lille before, the Champions League money is going to be significant, obviously, but it's not going to completely turn around the way they are. They still need to be careful. And I wonder if the reality of dealing with that is something that he's ready to accept. Mm. Inter drew against Atalanta they did. Uh, in uh, Nicky Bandini's game of the week to hand the initiative in Serie A to Juve, who, of course, won at Roma. Cristiano Ronaldo has now scored 10 in his last eight for Juve. Lars, you've noticed a pattern here with Inter that you literally insisted we had to talk about today. <laughs> so please I take it away. It the floor tied, is yours. It tied into another couple of things you wanted to talk about. So I thought, no, it's, it's this thing with Inter is that... Um, I know you're going to object, but but let me say, they if only first halves counted, they'd be top of the league. Now, given how close they are to the top of the league, you might say that that's not a big whoop. Uh, but if only first halves counted, they'd actually be a full twelve points ahead of Juventus. Twelve? Yes. Wow. Wow. They've uh, the for first for the first half, they've been in the lead going into halftime in thirteen out of nineteen games. But Juventus do finish strongly as well. Exactly. Don't they? But but the point is, under Conte, what we're seeing time and time and again with interest that they come out strong, they run at you. They they, they, they run around, they do all the things, and then they run out of steam a little bit in the second half uh, of games. And in this case, it was, it was very clear that Atalanta just really took over and just battered them at times. In the They're a nightmare half. to play against Atalanta. No, at, and Atalanta are absolutely relentless. So yeah. in, in isolation, dropping a point against Atalanta is kind of fine. But going into this game, Atalanta had scored 10 goals in their last two games, admittedly against Milan and Parma. But, you know, so mm. it's not a bad point as such. But you're seeing that they are running out of steam a little bit in these games. And... Um, with Juventus um, not being completely amazing this season, there is a real opportunity for them to to win the Scudetto and end the Juve dominance. Conte famously does well in his first seasons. And I think Conte, it's easy to make fun of him for, for always wanting more players and, and always, oh, I'm down to the bare bones and I need all these dudes. But they have a chance there now and it does seem they've had some injuries that have affected his options. And they do actually, they could really do with an extra couple of bodies in the window. Well, they've, um, and your, your point about them running out of steam in the in the second half of that, I mean, they would have lost that game if it wasn't from the Handanovic penalty save from mm. uh, Luis Muriel and of course uh, calendar year has only really started after Sami Handanovic saves a penalty <laughs> in, in my opinion um, but th- th- yeah they are looking to be active in this transfer window I mean they've already got rid of Politano in that in that swap with Spinazzola and that they clearly wanted a bit of cover at left back mm. uh, or, or left wing back Spinazzola like looking good. excited about being at Inter they, they, they put a, they did this thing with the journalist uh, apparently he'd just come off a flight you, well, I mean, yeah well the journalist yeah, was at the airport like eight hours him. is it he looks, terrible. He looks, he looks upset he, he looks there. like me when like the alarm goes and it's <laughs> yeah. like six in the morning or something it's like oh god this again 
But you did, I think but that just might be a natural reaction to to realizing he's about to play wing back for Antonio Conte. I mean, it's not. It's not. I could go somewhere and yeah, take a nap. Isn't it? Isn't it key though as well that not only that I mean we know about. I mean, at time of recording, it's not happened. We, we expect Olivier Giroud to go there as well. But isn't it also important for them to keep hold of? some players as well the, the swap of Politano is quite an interesting one because Politano is quite a useful utility player for them obviously Roma wanted him in to replace uh, Nicola Sagnolo who got that cruciate ligament injury against Juventus last weekend which quite affect them going forward so um, Politano gets to go back to Roma and try and fulfill his prophecy and all that sort of stuff the interesting thing about Giroud Lars is that he's not going to be any <laughs> no, further. No, he's gonna, he keeps doing. He's this. not going to be any further up the pecking order because he's done it to preserve his place in oh the France uh, twenty twenty yeah. squad. Yeah, he won't be any f- further up the pecking order, but no. he he will play more minutes, won't he? He probably will. But it's so funny that he's like, oh, I got to leave Arsenal. I'm not playing enough. So he goes to Chelsea under Conte and he never plays. And now he's going to Inter under Conte and he's not going to be first choice either. I think. Lars, like, can you just go and play football somewhere, Oliver? Pe- people who listen to football around all day regularly wouldn't. Th- I mean, I sound like a broken record, but I think he has been so criminally underused in the last few seasons. It's unreal. But, but you know, if it's you unreal. but then if you go to if he makes this decision now, and maybe he doesn't have a lot of options. But he, you know, Romelu Lukaku has been brilliant for Inter, and he's not a guy who gets hurt very often. And you go into that thinking, oh, this will be fine. Like you can't be surprised mm. when he finds himself on the bench a lot. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that Inter will or should use him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they probably won't. But for for a guy of his age and a guy of his ability. He he's. I think he needs to have made some no, better good. decisions. Yeah, I like yeah. him. You know, you know what? I'm I'm sure there are people while we're on the subject of Milanese football, Lars, like l- looking at their device at the moment and saying, "How many minutes in are, are we?" And he's not even talked about Zlatan's first not, goal no, back. You know, I'm keeping yeah. keeping the dry. Keeping it's a nice dry. goal as well. He put the ball to his feet. He'll, sl- he'll smash it in the corner. No problem. Yeah. Well, we we've, we've said this. I mean, like a latter day Carno. But the, the comparison. <laughs> It's not, it's not the worst comparison. No, yeah. he's he's like okay. So imagine if you had Andy Carroll, but his first touch was amazing, mm. and he could stay fit, and he could execute any number of technically difficult finishes. To be fair to Carroll, he can kind of do that. Yeah, he's well, but this is often. the thing. Like I, I make fun of Ibra for being slow, and he still is. But I think if you can get the ball to him into the box, he can create a lot of trouble. And that was what the goal was like. Like there was just a ball played into him in the box. No Cagliari players felt a, a, a great urge to mark him in any kind of way, and he's sort of wax it in first time and he's going to do that if you can get the ball to him but last we we talked last week about his um role as a um Rafael Leal whisperer yeah so it seems to be starting quite well doesn't it yeah Leal's going to goal and he's, and he's I, whispered Pepe Reina out of there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I do think. I think for he will not tolerate David Mays. He will not, he will not tolerate someone being like a worst, a cheerleader, but not as aggressive as cheerleader as he just, is. It's not the most progressive form of football. But if you're in the situation where Milan are in, where they've just been like, just awful they've been so bad Milan uh, and nothing's really working for them it's not really about like you can't play a sort of high tempo pressing game with, with Ibra up there no. but, I mean they're not playing any kind of game so far this season no. Milan they've just been really bad so you get a guy in who if you can get balls to him in the box he'll get you a couple of goals he'll get everyone a little bit excited and you really just change the conversation we were talking earlier about how Valverde changed the conversation for Barcelona yeah. Uh, yeah. away from the board being terrible and everything being awful like at least people are talking Talking about Ibra being there, rather about Milan being compl- been being a mess. Can we can we just spare a quick thought for Lazio as well? We appear to have gone a bit under the radar on this show, and I think probably in general, third in Serie A, uh, six points off the top with a game in hand. If they win the game in hand, they'll go one point behind uh, Inter. They've won at least their last six, probably more than ten that. in a row. Stay on ten in a row. There we go. Um, no one's got a better goal difference than them. Immobile is scoring goals for fun do we think they can hang around this is a team that's only won two Scudetto, Scudetti in their history the last one being in 2000 could they hang around a bit longer where's, where's Marcus Bella to say I, who that was under yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's where I can yeah. bring in my half time table again because in, sec- oh, in second halves the second half table is kind of misleading because teams who are ahead of after the first half will kind of ease off a bit yeah. but the Lazio's goal difference in second halves this season is extraordinary in 18 games they've scored 23 in the second half of the game conceded 3 
It's good. Wow. Three second half conceded goals. So will they push that through games. to the second half of this season? Hey, that's what I want well, to know. I, I, think, I think they can. I don't think they can continue to win every single game, but I think you have to take them very seriously. And this is a team who see very well coached on Simone, Simone Inzaghi. They, they haven't had a huge amount of squad turnover. This is a group of players who have been together for a long time. Uh, I guess my main concern would be can, uh, can Chiro Immobile keep scoring at the rate he is? Well, he can if he plays... David Ospina every week. I well, I mean that helps. I that. mean that, that was like you got to feel for Napoli, and like a lot of things have gone wrong for them this season. And Napoli the, played well in that game. Yeah, that, and, they, and, they actually and, played and, well and, at and, that. Enter yeah. Ospina. Hey, but no, uh, if you look at our old friend expected goals, Chiro Mobley has scored way too many goals and then converted commas. He's been very efficient with the chances he's had. Hmm. And that could be that he's suddenly become one of the best finishers in Europe, but it could also be that he's had uh, had the luck of the bounce a little bit. Yeah, what well, I, I think the thing is with them. You do think with Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto, he will continue to get chances. I, I think that is the big thing really for, for Lazio, isn't it? And they, they are a really good side. I mean, I, I know that there'll be a lot of listeners thinking they're a very dislikable club or there's a very dislikable element of their, their fan base. But you can only have admiration for for what they've been been doing on the pitch. And they're genuine title tenders now, Luke. There's absolutely no question about that. I think like they had that on the on the on the front page of I think it was Corriere della Sport, uh, you know, uh, Lazio for the Scudetto last last week. Because they are genuinely in the mix. And you're right, they have crept up by stealth. But I think it's quite interesting. If you look at the the fixtures that are, are, are coming up for them. Uh, Rome Derby at the end of the month. Now that is absolutely huge. It's absolutely huge for them. Mm. And it's also absolutely huge for Roma. Now I think if we're being realistic, if Lazio were to finish top three, that would still be a really tremendous season. I, I know what Lars is saying about them uh, retaining players and, and that's quite right. And I think the fact that they've still got Milinkovic Savic now. And that went quiet for a long time. He was yeah. being talked of a 100 million euro move to everywhere at one point. Yeah. Mm. And uh, he I, wasn't I think, great last season. Mm, quite yeah, a season he, yeah. he, he wasn't. I think off the back of not getting that move because mm. I, I think Lazio overestimated the market for him when they were pricing him. You know, there, was the, there wasn't the sense outside Italy that there was inside Italy of how, how good he was. Um, so I, I think that made a difference, but having him back in form is good. But but you know they they haven't invested a fortune in players by any stretch of the imagination. So for for them to be doing that with what what they've got is very impressive. But still, I think if they finish top three, realistically, that's great. And f- for them, it's not just about getting closer to like challenging the the, the top two because I still think they'll struggle to sustain it over the last three or four months of the season. It's about creating space between them and Roma. Because Roma is still in the mix for top four, obviously. But but I do think it's a slightly underrated aspect in modern football of teams who are actually able to keep a core group of players together. Like yeah. you, can, you can run into yeah. trouble down the line if people sort of and reach the end of their peak at the same time. Like like we've seen with Tottenham, and yeah. we've seen with with maybe actually to an extent with Napoli. Certainly, that's a group that maybe should have been freshened up a bit earlier. But when you have a team like Lazio, where Milinkovic Savic and Lucas and Alberto in midfield have sort of been together for three seasons and know each other really well, I think that's, I think that's really valuable. Large. In, in addition to that, they've got a great mix, great combination of, of youth and experience. You look at the players they've got, um, like Lucas Lever, um, uh, Immobile's been around the block, Radu's, what, 33 now, a Serbi's in his 30s. They've got some good experience to add with some interesting young players yeah, as well. Strakosh has been around for a long time and in goal as well, hasn't he? Has. Immobile's quite an interesting one because I think now we can look at players and if we feel they've failed at a couple of big moves, we can write them off quite easily. But Immobile, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit like, say, I don't know, Luis Fabiano, for example, who had two unsuccessful stabs at big European clubs. I know it's mm. a different context coming from South America. Yeah. But before he really took off at Sevilla, had a miserable time at Rennes, that can happen. Went back to Brazil, but he had a second stab at Porto um, directly after the Mourinho years. And you were thinking then, well, you know, if it hasn't worked out at Porto, is it going to work out in Europe for him? Probably not. And you look at Immobile and there was, there was a Dortmund move. And obviously that was post Lewandowski. That was a very tall order. I know him and his family quite found it quite difficult to adapt to Germany on a, on a cultural level as well. Um, 
and, and then he went to Sevilla and that didn't happen for him as well. So that he's been able to come back from those two moves and, you know, people still look at him as a, a certain type of striker who needs certain types of con- conditions to, to succeed. So the fact that he is at this point in his career, in his late 20s, just able to score such a volume of goals, I think is very, very impressive. All right, let's round up some transfers that have come into English football this window so far then. After much fanfare and rumour, Jetson Fernandes has signed for Spurs. He's a talented attacking midfield player, but he hasn't played an awful lot this season. Um, he looks quite skillful, can go past a player, but he also looks very strong as well. Yeah, he's, he's not really an attacking more, midfield player. more of an ace type, isn't he? Right, okay. okay. Well, he's, tell, us, tell us about he's, that. He's, he's got a good defensive side to his game, and I think that's where he's, he's, he's going to benefit Spurs. Um, he, he can make the tackles, but can also uh, bring the ball out and um, I, th- I think that's that's very important. He looked like he go, exactly what they need. In the due diligence I did ahead of talking about him here, he looked like he, I mean, where, he, where he's played before, he looked like he got forward quite a lot, but you don't expect him to do that for Spurs. He can do, um, but I, I would, yeah, I, I would expect him to take a, a more defensive role for right. for Spurs. He's no he's no Christian Eriksen replacement. No. And I think the fact that, you know, he, he can break up play is is very, very important. That's something that, I don't think he's a direct Eric Dyer replacement, but they clearly need a player in that position who's got a little bit more mobility. And that's something that he's got. He's very athletic, really terrific for Benfica in um, European games, particularly uh, last season. Um, But it has been quiet for him this season. You know, he's only started two games in the Liga. um, And uh, the way that Benfica have have changed things a little bit under Bruno Lage has, has, has not really worked well for him. So, Clearly, both Spurs and uh, Benfica can get benefit from this because um, I, I think people at, at Benfica are, are looking at how short he's come up this season and thinking, well, if Spurs eventually do end up paying £50 million for him, we, we've got ourselves a great deal here. Mm. And Spurs can look at it and think, this was a player who got a new contract at the start of the season with £130 million buyout clause, right. €130 million Euro buyout clause, which is the, the, the biggest buyout clause, not just in the history of Benfica, but in the history of Portuguese football. So um, they'll have both got themselves a deal if it works out. Yeah, and also just short term, you get a player, presumably they're not paying him more than his existing contract at Benfica. So you're getting a player who's on, by Spurs' standards, quite a low salary that you're taking on loan for 18 months. And if he doesn't work out, you don't have to buy him. There's not an obligation to buy, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's it's a very sort of Daniel it's Levy. Safe, isn't it? It's a Daniel Levy sort yeah. of a low risk, a high potential reward type of deal. I think looking at his numbers, there's nothing that really stands out. So it'll be really interesting to see, uh, to see how he does under... Do you think he'll, he'll thrive in that environment, given that he's probably going to need to hit the ground running straight away? Because Spurs need numbers badly, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. And I think um, you've got to be a little bit patient with him because he's, he's he's not played much this season. Um, but, you know, he's, he's someone who's a, a good player with loads of potential, very highly thought of. I think the fact that he already speaks excellent English. Um, His parents live in London, don't they? Yeah, they have done for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, which I think, A, helps him settle, and mm. B, shows you that he's had to be self-sufficient for, 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 the, for the last couple of years. So I think those are things that, that play quite well for him as well. And Norwich have brought in midfielders Andre Duda from Hertha Berlin and Lucas Rupp from Hoffenheim. I like Duda a lot. I, I think um, this could be something pretty good for, for Norwich. I mean, he's uh, thrived since since coming over for uh, from the Czech Republic where he really shone in, in, in European competition. He's, he's done well, uh, both Freiburg and Hertha. He's someone who can um, score goals from, from distance. Um, and I... I would be reasonably confident about him settling in well. Uh, Lucas Rupp, it just feels like a a body. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. He's he's not he's not someone who's is even really a a particularly great Bundesliga player. So it's a bit of a strange one. In yeah, my our colleague, uh, commentator, and German football expert Kevin Hatchard, love Kevin, lovely fella, good man, um, has already cast doubt on Rupp's ability to raise his game to Premier League level. He he expressed that opinion in typical Kevin Hatchard uh, uh, diplomatic way. But I, I had to. I'm not going to put words in Kevin's can, mouth. Can you put that in Google Translate and it come out as yeah, I, like how you would put it? Well, I, I read it as Kevin saying that he's probably a load of old shit. So, <laughs> hey, hey, what do you think, Lars? Andy said he's not. He's not a standout Bundesliga player anyway. No, so. he, he works hard. He runs around. I guess in the sort of Daniel Farke maybe oh, can mold him into. <laughs> yeah. He runs around. Yeah, but, but Norwich. 
very very likely are going down. I mean that's that's a, and they're they're a team who have been very clear that they're not going to bet the farm in the transfer market. Is the game rough for them? Yeah. Well, oh God, wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it. <laughs> Stick to Batfink. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I will. I really will. So, but the thing is, realistically, I mean, they want to be seen to be doing something noise. They want to kind of give it the best shot. But regardless of how good Duda is, and you're saying he's the better of the two, he's not going to make a difference between them staying in the Premier League or not. So it does look like a bit of a kind of let's plan for next season type move for me. I'm not saying they should have gone for a high risk bet the farm type play, but this seems a bit kind of lip service. I, to I me. think it's interesting as well when when you look at Duda. It's almost as if I mean he's been a good player for for Hertha, not uh, yeah top five team want him sort of player, mm. but a, a, a very very serviceable player for for, for Hertha, and he's had some really good spells there. It is very much them clearing the decks so they can get their posh new signings in. Oh my god! There we go. Just did the one that Lars didn't want to do because <laughs> I agree. Lars is about to compromise this because um, that's fine. That's fine. You insisted on Inter, so I'm insisting on Ignacio Pusetto who's coming okay. to Watford on a four and a half year deal with seven million pounds. Um, whenever I watch clips of him, he looks to be playing from the left, but he's listed as a right forward. Um, Lars, you can clear that up for me and then also talk about what he's good at. Well, he's a sort shouldn't of take, shouldn't take you long. <laughs> I just, it's not super exciting. It's fine. He's a sort of pretty hardworking wide player. Can he play both flanks then? Sure, but like predominantly on the right. Okay, but how he's turned up in your your clips, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I, I do think that stands out with him. I think both from uh, I don't watch Rudinese every week, but uh, having having watched him, he does seem to work quite hard. And looking at his numbers, he does win more tackles than what's normal for a winger. So I guess Nigel Pearson Pearson will like that. He likes a hardworking player, and in the in the situation that Watford find themselves in, that's 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 completely fine. And you're just chucking away, Andy, because you've got nothing to add. Just enjoy. Lars. It's just not a super exciting transfer, that's, is it? That's pretty much it. I, I've, I've they not, made a big I've fan about him, it. I've not seen him nearly enough to, to make a judgment. Okay, well, but I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to this hard tackling winger business. Yeah, they've also signed um, João Pedro, an 18-year-old Brazilian uh, player who even Nigel Pearson seemed to intimate isn't going to play. So, I mean, maybe that's one for the future, I'm sure it is. Well, just, just going entirely again... I don't watch Udinese every week because, you know, but uh, he he won an average of 1.9 tackles per game last season, which is very high for a winger. It's, uh, so I think that's something that, uh, yeah. All right. The the, the dog wrestling Nigel Pearson will, will enjoy. <laughs> and finally, um, Aston Villa have looked to alleviate their goalkeeping problems. Uh, Tom Heaton and Jed Steer are both injured, of course, by signing Pepe Reina from Milan. Experienced, seen it, done it all, all that chutney. But can he make an impact? Does he still have the ability? Is he someone who's going to slot straight in there ahead? Of their third choice keeper. Well, it's, it's hard for us to tell because he's he's, he's barely played since yeah. leaving Napoli. Yeah, um, so I can see what they got him. He knows the league, and he's, he's like I say, he's done for it for sure. Yeah. And, and he was he was very useful for for, for, for Napoli until he ended up uh, leaving there. It was always a bit of a strange one. They brought him in, obviously thinking that they were going to sell Donnarumma. It didn't happen. Um, so he has been re-reduced to that sort of uh, cheerleader role of, with the huge difference that there's not really much to cheer at Milan. He's very good at it though. I mean, if you were going to have someone doing it, he'd have him. I was actually at his last game for, for Milan uh, and I was slightly taken aback by just how uh, emotional the local crowd were about him leaving. I mean, when he was doing his big farewell walk around the stadium, there was a lot of love for Pepe Reina there. Well, I, I, t- I tell you what, it'll all change when, you know, they've got Asmir Begovic in now, hasn't it? haven't they? I mean, you know, who couldn't be pleased about that? He'll be over the moon. All right, let's turn our attention to games of the week then. I'll get mine out of the way very quickly. Real Madrid versus Sevilla is at three o'clock on Saturday. Nice. Um, it always seems to be goals in that game. I know the last game, the game in Seville was 1-0, wasn't it? Or was it... Oh, God, I'm all over the place here. Um, yeah, the game in Seville was 1-0 to Real Madrid. Yeah. But historically, um, there always seems to be goals. A couple of seasons ago, there was a 3-2 to Seville and then Real Madrid beat them 5-0 at the Bernabeu. There's been a 7-3 recently as well. Has there really? I didn't yeah. know about that. Oh, yeah, there has. I've just checked. Look, back in 2013, 7-3. Can you name the goal scorers from that game? No. Um, Gareth Bale got two. Cristiano Ronaldo got a Hattrick and Karen Benzema helped himself to two as well. Rakitic and Carlos Baca scoring for Seville. Uh, Sevilla. So yeah, that'll be mine. Real Madrid v Sevilla, 3pm Saturday. Last. My game of the weekend is uh, RB Leipzig versus Union Berlin. The battle for the soul of the Bundesliga. Uh, the, the hipster favourites, Union Berlin versus the evil fizzy drink empire. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be spicy. What, when is that last? <laughs> it's it's on <laughs> Saturday. It's fizzy. It's on, it's on Saturday night. And I, I wonder, at what point does it become sort of almost countercultural to like RB Leipzig? Yeah. It's you, you, you come full circle. Follow your heart. I find it a little bit tedious when everyone kind of... Kind of 
you know, virtue signals about how real football is this and real football is that. Well, you know, you know the thing that disturbs me more than anything else about RB Leipzig? Have, have you seen their mascot? Uh, I mean, is he a big no. can? Obviously, it's a, it's, it's a red bull. Yeah. Oh. But but the the thing is, he's got like just the body of a muscly man. He's oh, not I've got seen one that. of those big... With the helmet on, yeah, I've seen it. He's yeah. not got one of those big clumpy suits. He nah. just looks like an athlete on steroids painted red, basically. It's a perfect metaphor. Is it? No, it's an imperfect <laughs> metaphor. I'm not saying I like the fact that like Red Bull are doing what they're doing, but I'm just saying, it, do you not find it a bit tedious when people kind of say they just arbitrarily decide that's a proper team that isn't? And yeah, everyone I, just talks about it all the time. For, but, for me, there are bigger problems in the world of football in terms of how certain clubs are run and in terms of where money is coming from elsewhere. I think you have uh, to look at it in the context of German football. And it's, it's, a, it's a very particular issue in Germany. We're going to do some stuff on Germany next week, so maybe we'll do a bit of that as well. Andy, yeah, what's, your, what's your game of the week, mate? Um, well, you know what? I'm saying don't go out Friday night and treat yourself. <laughs> you sound like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> treat yourself because um, the big one uh, that kicks off at 9.15 um, is Sporting versus Benfica. Uh, right. which is, is, is going to be fantastic. And as it still happens, it's going to be the latest last game of Bruno Fernandes before he leaves for right. uh, uh, Manchester United. Uh, you'll also get to see a, a, a bit of Julian Weigel as well, which, which will be quite nice. But of you... course, on his last visit to the Alvalade, he scored one of his rare goals for Dortmund as they, they won there in the, in the Champions League. And, and that will be jolly exciting. Also, though, there's like the mini derby. If you go back, because as I said, Sporting Benfica, which is on free sports, by the way, so you can watch it for free. And they've got HD now. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they've yeah. got an HD channel. So it's not like watching the past anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, the thing is, as I said, it doesn't kick off till 9.15. Is that, is that Eusebio playing? That's so, what it used to be. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you go back, I think it kicks off at, at eight. Uh, the mini derby. Porto Madrid. Uh, oh no, sorry. I think it was uh, well, about, well, Port, at seven. Porto Braga is at seven. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's on British TV, although you'd be able to find it on some betting channel, obviously. Yeah. Um, so you could back to back in Portugal, or and there are multi screens available to everyone these days. Yeah. You could uh, watch the mini derby of Madrid, uh, Leganes versus Getafe, and of course for Sky customers, La Liga TV is free for the first fortnight, which is just launched in the UK. So you get to watch loads of Spanish football for nothing this weekend if you've got Sky. They, don't, they certainly didn't know you, didn't they, Liga TV? Cut, <laughs> cut the canapes and you're already endorsing their product. I mean, if you, if, you, if you suggest to your other half that on a Friday night, you should watch a bit of Julian Weigel. Yeah. Do you not think she'll just think you're, you're going to take her to a gig or something? I you know, wouldn't even... I, as soon as she found out he was a footballer, I wouldn't even get to jazz. the end of the sentence. One of the most underrated smiles in European football, Julian Weigel. Very specific. This was a Stakhanov production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.